Welcome to the Idle Book Club for March 2016. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Sarah Argidale. And this month, we're discussing Never Let Me Go by the Japanese-born British novelist Kazuo Ishiguro. So this novel is a sort of lightly dystopian, I guess heavily, <laughs> heavily dystopian, but sort of lightly science fiction um, novel set in England in, I suppose, the 90s. It says at the beginning of the novel, England in the ni- 1990s. Okay. okay, yeah, that's definitely the sense you get from mm-hmm. reading it, even if it didn't say that. Um, this was a novel I knew very little about. I mean, I knew nothing about it also when we when we chose it. Mm-hmm. Um, did you know anything about the premise? You, you knew. Oh, right, you already knew. Right, which we should say yeah. to people who are listening to this podcast who may not have read the book yet. Hopefully, be, not too many of those people. But, right. You know. be, be warned that this book. We we can we'll discuss this, but there is a plot point to this book that we will need to reveal in order to actually have a conversation about it and it might be nice for people to not know what that is if you've never read it before so right. if you want to read this book with no knowledge please turn off this podcast now <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i am uh generally sarah you read uh these faster than i do and so you're mm-hmm. generally sort of running a you know uh, at least 25% ahead of me at any given moment. And you kept asking, oh, do you know what the thing is yet? Do you know what the But I also knew yet? what the... Yeah, I, I suppose. So, do we just say what the... Yeah, so that this they're is, clones? Yeah, this is a book about students who grow up in what seems to be a relatively well-to-do um, boarding school in England. But, you know, as the novel goes on, we learn that these children are have been raised from birth to be essentially organ farms Mm -hmm. for other non-cloned citizens of England. And uh, not knowing this, I, my experience reading this book, not knowing that was really wonderful. The, one of the reasons I wanted to read something else by Ishiguro is that I had read. What was the, Oh, sorry. You're, you're about to say what the other book was. I had read The Remains of the Day by the same author and I absolutely loved it. I thought it was a really beautiful book and and a, a very introspective book and I really got that same feeling reading Never Let Me Go, especially the first half of the book, I would say before many of the revelations are um become crucial to the actual mm-hmm. plot. Totally authentic to the way that children form relationships and cliques and way mm-hmm. ways of explaining their role in the world and their own coming to terms with their own bodies and their friendships and their imaginations. There were so many clever details in there, I thought, that rang totally true to me, not not in the specifics of, you know, things that I or anyone else would have uh come up with as kids but that felt totally believable Mm -hmm. yeah the first half of this book is really great in that it is a completely convincing coming of age well it's not really coming of age because she's reflecting on her past so we're remembering all of these events with her so it has this kind of nostalgic adult perspective on someone's childhood that as an adult, 
I read it and and also feel nostalgic for my own childhood, even though I didn't go to a British boarding school, mm-hmm. there are still definitely touchstones that I could relate to. And I think that Ishiguro does a a masterful job of balancing the just very straight, realistic childhood remembrance and the hints that there's something possibly evil simmering below the surface, especially at the beginning. He very subtly is dropping all of these hints that what is going on is not exactly 100% good or well, we can talk about whether or not the, the morality of, of the actual story, but I, I really enjoyed the kind of simmering unease that was in most of the book. Um, even, even though I knew going into it that they were going to be clones and that the students were all organ donors, it still had a very creepy tinge to it. Mm-hmm. Did you suspect, I'm sure that you suspected something was off, but. Yeah, that stuff was introduced almost as in a drip feed. It was so slow. Right. Which was, I mean, it, it, you, you have to read a lot before anything concrete is, um, starts to, starts to surface. I, I, I think the first explicitly strange thing you learn is that none of them can have children. Mm-hmm. And I remember I actually sort of started to think to myself, I wonder if they're all clones as kind of an idle, just sort of, this is a thing that happens in in alternate fiction sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I actually dropped that hypothesis because it it went unconfirmed for so long. And then there were these other sort of details that started to come out. And I thought, okay, well, that that was just some, that that's, I'm on the wrong track here entirely. And then of course it, it did end up being that. But that part wasn't even really the most, I, that's not really what the tragic element is, you know? I mean, except for the fact that in being clones, society was able to wash its hands of their humanity, even though clearly they, these were fully human, mm-hmm. um, th- you know, these were complete human beings. I don't think that the clones were washed of their humanity. No, no I'm saying the society washed its, I, I phrased that sentence badly, but what I meant was because they were clones, society, the larger society felt was felt it was able to oh to use them as yeah it was sort of like okay well you know what these mm-hmm. people don't have souls they're not you know what what have you but but um but the 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 donor part is what stuck with me a lot more than the, the clone part the clone part felt almost incidental to me mm-hmm. i suppose i don't know if that is that may not i don't know if that's a common reaction to this book probably not that they ate that they could have not been clones. The well, more horrifying part is that they were also right. organ donors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, the, in theory, like the you know it, the thing that is was done to them is really tragic, regardless of whether they happened to be cloned or not. I mean, I and I think that's part of the point of the book. You know, I think sure in, I, in modern society, I think we understand that there's nothing. Like just modern science, I think, tells us there's nothing substantially different to a cloned sentient organism than to one that was born in sort of the traditional, conceived in the traditional way, right? Like I think we 
we just understand that there isn't actually mm-hmm. a substantial difference in consciousness to any in in any way, right? And I think that's probably the fact that the book was written in 2005 but was about a cloning program that started post World War II, I think is really significant because as readers of the book, we are completely aware of that, but this is a program that created whose that whose assumptions were sort of set down you know, 70 years ago in the timeline of this novel um, and and just never really got sub- updated or questioned enough to, you know, to, to reevaluate whether ethically it has a leg to stand on. Does that make sense? Sure. So this book takes common science fiction tropes or a common science fiction trope to say something about human existence in a very beautiful way in that these clones are raised so for the sole purpose of being organ donors to other humans so when you are presented with that existence it feels sad because you know that these people are being denied a full life they can't have children they can't get married they can't have careers or jobs their sole purpose is to take care of each other and then have their organs harvested and obviously that's a horrible life um but the the thing that i i found to be absolutely beautiful about this book is that the characters even though they're fully aware of what their life entails they seem to for the most part be accepting of it and accepting of the fact that they are destined for these fates and in in a way i mean it's it's clearly just a a metaphor for human existence although taken to a very sci-fi extreme where actual humans we all are we all aware to come to terms with that, right yeah. with our own mortality and if you just paint that in the bleakest way possible that also sounds really sad where it's like you live and you form these attachments with yeah, you achieve things you and you know. and then ultimately it it all ends at at some point and you have no control over when that will be and you know you can be pessimistic about that but i i read something like this book and i just find it to be very moving and human except for the ending (laughs) which i think kind of ruined all of that beauty that came before it i detested the ending of this book part of the ending i mean mean, the the sort of climactic scene yes where everything is 100 percent laid out because three-fourths of this novel for i mean even for for most of it you don't even know for sure th- that they're clones. You find out, event- like, somebody finally says the word clones. Um, I don't think... Well, it's because they, they talk about going to Norfolk, right? And um, they she explains how, you know, we have these possibles who may have been our model. and Right. So you, you find know, out before know. that, though. Okay, okay. Um, but you... So that that you get you finally get that confirmed although there have been enough hints up to that point where you can kind of start to guess what's going on and you there are enough hints that you can guess like okay they're they're organ 
donors and you're you're able to see the hints and fill in the blanks for for yourself and that's the way the majority of the novel is written and that's great for keeping with this whole metaphor for the clones represent like a real not us humans like Mm -hmm. you you and me chris and sarah humans and then he kind of ruins all of that by having a character just exposit everything it's like let me tell you the history of this cloning program and this is why we had this nice school but no one cares about hurting the clones because other humans don't see the clones as being people and there's just this scene that goes on for way too long at the end of the book where it ruins all of the subtlety and the metaphor because it just spells everything out that the reader could already have have gleaned for themselves and i was so incensed when i got <laughs> to that part i i reacted poorly initially for some reason ultimately it sat completely fine with me mm-hmm. um and i think part of that is and i, I this could be get, being too too charitable out of ignorance but my suspicion and i would actually be curious to hear from any british readers to ha- if they have any perspective on this and you know could let me know if i'm onto something or completely i'm on the wrong track and just talking out of my ass my my sense is that on the macro level the book is about as you say and i think as we we both agree sort of a um a picture of just human life and coming to terms with mortality and, and, and all these things. But then on the micro level, it seems I, I can't, I, I strongly suspect that there's also a comment in there that is not entirely accessible to me as an American about British public schooling and this tradition of boarding schools and a certain kind of education that seeks to impress on its students a particular, um, way of living and and um place within society and so because of that i i but how does that so how does that connect to well because i don't think that the that what the book is doing in that scene is explicitly laying out the central metaphor Mm -hmm. i think that it's simultaneously tackling these two different tracks and so it feels like the it it feels to me like i could imagine a in a non-science fiction setting i could imagine a student who grew up in a certain kind of boarding school environment like this where there are these sort of odd practices with the art and creativity and these various like methods of determining humanity confronting uh a teacher later in life in the same way and i sort of thought okay i could i i buy this as something that that would happen given this premise um the sort of weak like well-meaning defense of the adults um was convincing enough to me to justify the existence of that scene even though you're right it does kind of break the flow of this very careful and subtle and slow um, feed of information. It just goes to from science fiction as a metaphor to just straight. This book is now science fiction, and maybe 
you're right that they're. Uh, I don't think that, but I don't think anything that was being discussed in that scene is any more science fiction than anything. Right, but because it's so explicit, mm-hmm. it it feels like a different story. Whereas you can read the first part of the book, and and even though it eventually um reveals to you right. what's going on it's still ephemeral enough that sure. it, it doesn't feel like i because you you described it as dystopian but it doesn't feel like a right yeah it's it's not initially presented as an oppressive world um because it's or, not really or in the, really in the a day of these people's lives or like a, a world outside of our reality so right. much that when it is kept below the surface, mm-hmm. it is very easy to read this book as within our known reality because you're you're reading it as a metaphor. And then when the book explodes out of the surface and like forces you to confront the fact that, no, this is not our world anymore because our current world does not have this cloning program. It loses the magic of everything that it was trying to say before, because it it just makes it easy to stop seeing it as a metaphor for actual human existence. Right. And then you can but just I, be like, Oh, right. They're clones. Right, okay. okay. But the, the, I guess the point of the thing that I got from that, and I, I feel very ill-equipped to mount this defense because I don't, think I have the proper sort of historical and sociological perspective to speak on it. It's just my like intuition that there's something there. And I, I wish, I mean, I'm sure that he but, had a reason for doing it. Well, I, well, I know, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to get at what that reason might be. And I, that section becomes less metaphorical, I think because that is the less metaphorical component of what this book is about. I think there is a component of this book that is metaphorical and about these grand questions of life and human existence. But I think there's also a component of this book that is much less metaphorically and more literally about um, a certain type of, uh, of education. And I think that that scene is confronting those things um, more literally. And even though the things that, that on the page they're talking about are these science fictional elements, I think the things that they're actually talking about are things that are closer to our own world. Um, and that's why I thought it kind of worked. It felt to me like an interesting inversion where the reader has to kind of swap what part is metaphor and what part, um, is literal. But I, I mean, you know, as I say, I don't think I'm the right person to um, like make that case in a in a very strong way, and I, I I completely understand where you're coming from, obviously. But but you know, I it it worked for me. Well, fortunately, we have a bunch of British people who <laughs> listen to this podcast, and one of them actually. Are you reading from the forums? I am reading from so the forums. So quickly before you do that, I should mention that the mm-hmm. forum thread on for this episode was amazing. I I mean, it, there was, if you go to idlethumbs.net, click the forums link, there's a sub forum for this show, the Idle Book Club. And every month we post uh, a new discussion thread for the book we're reading. And there was so much good discussion in this thread. I was over the moon about it. Um, so yeah, Sarah, if you want to, if you want to read an excerpt. Yes. The post I'm going to read was written by Marginal Gloss, who's from the UK. He's quoting a section uh, where Miss Lucy basically blows up at the students for being kind of passive 
in their lives and and not being more active in, in recognizing what's happening around them. And so he he quotes that section of the book. And then this is where he, I will start reading what he said. I abridged the above quote to remove the actual references to organ harvesting because in some ways those words seem like the least important part of the speech. Taken on their own, her admonishment becomes a neat summary of the kind of deal the average British school child makes with the state. I can recall hearing various versions of this speech at school myself, usually delivered with the intent of inspiring humility in boisterous students. Written another way, it might read, When you leave school, you must subdue personal ambition and give your time and body over to society. In return, society will look after you and extend your life by artificial means, and it will only ask for a lifetime of quiet obedience and economically productive labor. The the actual method of your demise is irrelevant. However you choose to work yourself to death, you've given the best of your life in support of something bigger than yourself. I guess this is what is called managing expectations in the modern workplace. And and then he goes on to talk at gr- great length about um, various UK social programs, um, especially the the health program and how citizens in in a country where the government provides such a strong benefit to its people kind of are making this passive agreement that the clones in the novel are making where they accept their fate because they're being provided for at every step of the way. So that that ties back into what you were saying about this being not only a metaphor for human existence, but more specifically about the kind of systems that humans create for our societies. The, the that post I think is really interesting and really powerful, and it does suggest that there is some kind of um, less inspiring bargain being made. And I think that's I think it's really interesting. Yeah, I don't know if it's less inspiring, but I I think that there's probably something. I almost said defeatist, but that that feels too strongly negative I, I i don't necessarily think that this book is trying to argue that universal health care is some kind of yeah and i don't think the book is about the national health service or universal health care sure but yeah. it's it, it, you can definitely i and i think marginal gloss makes a very strong argument that it, it is in some ways about the the systems that we just accept by by default and we we never try to push back against them because it's just what we see life as and i don't think that that's necessarily a negative or a positive comment on anything that's just more an acknowledgement of how individual people are completely willing to go through life without questioning the bigger picture around them because it's easier to do that. And that, and because in a lot of cases you, there's relatively little you can actively do anyway. And that brings up, um, I think you're right with all that, by the way, um, another interesting comment or rather several comments that people made on the forums about why the clones are never think about trying to escape. And yeah, that had actually never even occurred to me. <laughs> I know it totally didn't occur re- to me either. And that was 
by far the biggest again, source of contention on the thread. Um, at the ending, when they go to confront Miss Emily, right, and they're trying to get this this reprieve, um, because uh, well, they go to confront Madam, and then Miss Emily happens to be there, right, and. But they're 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 trying to get out of the they're get, trying to get a stay on their their organ mm-hmm. donation so that they can um, have a life together be together Kath and Tommy and and that actually felt like a, it was kind of veering into the, a territory where maybe they were trying to escape from this system but thankfully it didn't go too strongly in that direction. Yeah. Well, I lo- I loved that the sort of the closest. Well, so the the. It's not so much that they were trying to escape so much as they thought, oh, there may actually be some some obscure program that we can be, you know, some obscure practice that we well, can take advantage of. And then when it didn't, the only sort of flash of rebellion was one of Tommy's fits of anger, which were, I thought, really wonderfully portrayed going all the way back to his childhood years mm-hmm. at Hailsham. And, I, and there's, there's something about those fleeting moments of rage against this system that were that i thought were incredibly powerful mm-hmm. you know he's never explicit it doesn't the thing that that suppresses him ultimately is not so much um discipline as much as it is the implicit perception from everyone surrounding him both teachers and students that he is simply He's acting out of line or acting in a shameful way. And it's that is one of the most crushing things in the book to me that that this this person who has this motive, this something that he's trying to confront in himself and this motive expressing it just has absolutely no outlet or 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 way of being received. Um, And I love that 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 sort of flashed up again at the end. And then, of course, he settles down and says, oh, you know, let's go back. Mm-hmm. It was just com- completely tragic to me and heartbreaking, but really wonderful. Yeah. I'm Everything about them trying to find this special exception for themselves, even though they have known countless other people who have had to go through this system and and die from it but they're still holding on to this hope that maybe we're different which is again a very common right a very very human Mm -hmm. desire and and that coupled with the fact that somebody who was raised under these circumstances probably would have very serious anger issues that would have to be repressed because there's no outlet for real expression and the book is so strong when it has those elements but doesn't spell them out for you which again is why i was so frustrated with (laughs) them explicitly saying like this program was started after world war ii we cured cancer we can never get rid of this cloning program because the rest of the world likes being able to live disease free all of that is information that i could already guess from for myself and it just distracts from again these very very poignant s- tragically sad yeah i again i totally understand where you're coming from but i'll I, stop i'll stop it's okay. complaining no, it's, it's about it's okay because i i completely understand 
I, t- I totally take your point. I didn't. One of the other reasons I didn't mind is because I thought the historical perspective was interesting. I mean, Britain pre and post war is such a different entity in the world and at home. You know, its relationship to the world changed so much in terms of its status as an empire. Um, the so much of of uh, Britain's self identity has changed in the generations since then, and I thought it was a really interesting choice to date the origins of this program to that fulcrum point in history. And I don't know if there would have been any way to to realistically. I mean, I suppose the children could have found some sort of historical document or something, or it could I, just have never mentioned. Right, but I but I like that it was mentioned. Is what I'm saying. I thought yeah. because I think that that is, I think that it speak that speaks to so much of the British component of the novel and not just the human component of the mm-hmm. novel. And so, um, I, again, I, I <laughs> all I can say is I wish I had I wish I had a stronger grasp of those subcurrents. Um, but 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 I found them I found them powerful in just their evocation, even if I all the all of the nuance was was not complete you know if, even if some of that escaped me um and i and i i'm probably predisposed to find that kind of thing interesting for the same reason that i that i thought the remains of the day was such a wonderful book which is that it deals so much that book is also a very human novel and has i i think is in a lot of ways a universal story but again also feels so much uh tied to the british psyche um at the same time. And so I, I, it's clearly something that this author is, uh, is in his wheelhouse. Right. I've never read remains of the day, but I did read the buried Buried giant, the buried giant. um, when it came out, that's his most recent novel, right? A a year ago. And that book is similar to never let me go. in that it uses in this case, fantasy tropes. It's set in a, Arthurian England, Saxons, Britons still fighting each other. Um, and it uses that fantasy setting with dragons and giants and warlocks and knights and, and everything that you would expect to find in medieval fantasy to tell a story about growing old and individual loss of memory, but also collective societal loss of memory. I'm, um, and that is Ishiguro's bag, apparently. Right. Apparently, when he started to write this book, it was more explicitly about a a, um, a country like Bosnia and Croatia huh. and Serbia who went through this horrible ethnic violence and, and this kind of mass forgetting that needs to happen afterwards. And, and he, I guess, changed it to be a little bit more metaphorical and and use this fantasy layer to obscure ever so slightly the point that he was trying to make but it's it still is it comes across very clearly and i was struck by the similarities of those two books although i think that never let me go was a little bit better at at making its points and, and using its other tropes and it's interesting to hear you describe remains of the day which preceded both of these novels yeah, and, and 25 years right and how he is with with um subsequent books is is just going more and more into the i would be curious to fill in those gaps and see yeah. what of which of those themes remain mm-hmm. 
Um, so there were a couple big things. I would say that, you know, we talked about the forum thread again, which was really great, the discussion around this book on our forums. And there were a couple things I'd be curious to, to hear your take on. One of them, we, you know, you read it, you read a post from the forum, obviously. There were two other big things that I thought were, were, uh, big back and forth points. One of them was the style of the prose as it was defi- divided into these chapters. And so you have Kath, you know, you've Kathy H, I, I think, recounting this story in these very conveniently delineated blocks in which she will frequently end a passage by saying something like, and the significance of that could never have occurred to me and if it were not for what Tommy said two weeks later or something like that, and then the chapter will end. And a few people on the forum described that as kind of, I think disparagingly as sort of a page turner or cheap trick. Um, I didn't, I didn't really feel that way necessarily, but I'm curious how you, how you reacted to that style. You drawing a blank. (laughs) (laughs) You can cut out the, that's okay. No, I'm not cutting it out. I'm leaving it in, no. including you saying I can cut it out. Mm. Yeah. Well, I guess you can interpret my lack of response as <laughs> I, I didn't feel strongly negative about it. I mean, this book is a woman recalling her her youth and her young adult life and i think it's completely fair game to say that somebody would be thinking through these past memories and and say to themselves oh i i i didn't know what was so important about that until years later when when this event happened and it it didn't it, it definitely is a a page turner novel but it didn't feel exploitative sure this this was a thing that I that actually did make me reconsider my reaction to the novel very slightly. I think once it was pointed out to me in those posts, say so yeah, I didn't read the thread until I'd finished the novel completely, and um, once I saw some of those, I it did leave me with a weird taste in my mouth, slightly not enough to really change any of my impressions to the book as a whole, which I which I, I think I really loved, but. It did. I I did think. Oh yeah. I guess some of that stuff was a little bit convenient. I think if the but, book had gone on longer, it yeah, would have started to I grade. Think that, I think that's fair. But I think, as you say, there's something. Uh, there there is something that this book gets at, which is, you know, I've had the so I I do an, another podcast on this network called Idle Thumbs, which is about video games, and very frequent, not very frequently, but every once in a while, I'd say every few months on the podcast. Um, one of us, sometimes me, will tell a story about our childhood or teen years or something. And frequently when I find that happening, I'll tell a story and it'll be something that I have thought about in my head, you know, a number of times over the years, but then it's not until it's coming out of my mouth in the presence of other people that I will actually form any kind of conclusion about its larger place in my life. And I think there is, even if you, if you think of the same event in your life, you can think of it again and again and again in your own brain and turn it over and turn it over. But I think as soon as there's someone else listening, even if they're not responding, I think suddenly it makes you rethink the context of it. And that was kind of how I think I interpreted Kathy's stories. I mean, it's, this book doesn't ever explain its framing device. There's no it doesn't suggest that there is a specific person to whom she is. Or she's writing in a diary. Right. Who knows? But 
the, the way I interpreted that stuff was that now that she's actually thinking of these incidents with the intention of communicating something to somebody somehow, she is drawing lines that she maybe had never drawn before. Mm-hmm. So, I, of course, it was also written by an author trying to make a compelling novel. So also it's very conveniently <laughs> structured. So be it. it feels a little unfair to get mad at an, an author for trying to write. Yeah, but a I, do understand, book. I do understand. I do understand sure. the point. I, I do. I do totally take mm-hmm. that point. Do you want to mention that there is the movie? Oh yeah. There, <laughs> um, I think we originally thought it might be nice to watch it before doing this podcast. That didn't a- end up happening um, just for various reasons timing reasons and other and other factors um i'm i'm kind of curious to watch it i'm not in a huge rush we'll see how it goes but that exists anyway so that i suppose wraps it up for this episode of the adult book club there there's a lot more i think we could say about this book and there are definitely a lot of reactions i had to it that um didn't end up making it into this podcast um and I guess that's just the nature of uh, of this kind of thing. But if you would like to discuss it with other readers, you can go to uh, our forums. If you go to idlethumbs.net, click the forums link and find the Idle Book Club uh, subforum, you will see discussions for all the episodes we've published so far, including this one. And our next episode which is about the book is called everything I never told you by Celeste Ng. It was published in 2014 and sounds like it was well reviewed. I purposely have not read a lot about what this book involves. I know that it's set in Ohio. So shout out to all of our, (laughs) so if you like books set in Ohio, read this one. Or if you're from Ohio, do we know anything about the premise to sort of, Um, Try and inspire people to read it. Yeah. So it's set in the 1970s and it is about a Chinese-American family living in Ohio. Um, They have a young daughter who the the parents have kind of pinned their future hopes on in some way. And at the presumably very early on in the novel, because this is in the plot summary, uh, the daughter ends up dead. Um, they they find her drowned in in a lake, and then the rest of the book kind of un presumably will unravel the the death, and then also the the relationship that the, these immigrant parents have with their daughter, who they're coming to this new country to make a life for. And and the and the title of the book is Everything I Never Told You. Okay, by Celeste Ng. Um, we also uh, got an email from Elise Wallace who wrote, Hey there, love the last episode. Would be great if you guys had a book group on Goodreads as well. Just an idea. And that email reminded me that we do, in fact, have a book group on Goodreads, which is a online platform for tracking and discussing books. Uh, it was set up years ago during the original run of this podcast. And I went back in there and sort of cleaned it up a bit and... Uh, you know, updated it with current information. There has been no activity in there for, I think, over two years um, because this podcast was dormant and so was that group. But perhaps some readers will seek out the Idle Book Club group on Goodreads and start using it again. Um, I don't I don't know if anyone will, but it exists. 
So, uh, yes, our book next month is Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ng. And uh, hopefully you read it and listen to what we have to say. Thanks. You can follow us on Twitter at Idle Book Club. Our website is at idlebookclub.com. And uh, yeah, bye. Bye. Bye.